Good morning, Faith Church. Well, as we get started this morning, I want to show you, I used to have a t-shirt, I used to wear a t-shirt that looked something like this. If you can't read it, it says, basketball is life. And at the bottom it says, and the rest is just details. Hmm. Hmm. You know, on one hand, it works, right? On one hand, it makes sense that I would wear a shirt like that early in my life. Uh, I have been playing or coaching basketball since I was 12 years old. I, I was a basketball player. I worked for the college team. I coached high school and college. I have four children. They've all played basketball. I've coached most of them for many years. So on one hand, it would make total sense that I would make, uh, wear a shirt that says, basketball is life. But on the other hand... Basketball is life? Really? No. No. Uh, And obviously the shirts are just for fun. You've perhaps seen ones like this with other sports or other hobbies. And of course it's just for fun. It's a way to proclaim something you're into. But I hope that you all, if I'm you, I'm sitting there going, I hope this guy knows there's more to life than basketball. (laughs) Yeah, I hope hope so too. But we do put too much emphasis on areas of lesser importance, don't we, sometimes? I don't think I'm alone in this room in sometimes putting too much emphasis on things in life that don't really matter that much. Are there there things for you in your life, even good things, that you elevate above more important things? If someone is watching your life If someone is looking to see your words and your actions, what are they going to know that you're all about? As they observe your life and the way you interact with people and the way you go about things and the the t-shirts that you wear, if you will, what do they observe? What do they think you're all about? Um, Some years after wearing that t-shirt, I wore another t-shirt. I don't have a picture of this t-shirt, but the next t-shirt I had or not, you know, a few years later. It said something like this, Christ is life, the rest is basketball. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, progress. Yeah. A little better? Yeah. Okay, now at least the top priority is correct, right? But the rest is basketball. Um, You know, maybe a little better, but uh, I could go on a tangent here and spend it. Oh, man. I am not a big fan of Jesus junk. And uh, you can, there is too many stores out there where you can go into and there's too much Jesus junk for sale. And so I just want to encourage you creatives, you that are artistic and musical, and uh, I want you to create stuff to the glory of Jesus without having to rip off another idea. <laughs> is the best we could do is come up with a t-shirt that was a rip off of something someone had already done? Okay. All right. Well, that's enough. let's see uh, what kind of t-shirt the Apostle Paul would wear, and I hope he's wearing something not as cheesy as either of those those shirts. Uh, Open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. Love you to bring your own Bibles with you. If you don't have one, please let us know, and we can get you one. Uh, Love you to bring your own Bibles, either in paper or on your device, and open to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 18. As we study God's Word, we, are in, we find ourselves uh, working through this book in our Bible called Philippians, which is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the Philippians, which would be the people, the Christians, in a town called Philippi. 
So here's Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 18. And you'll remember we left off last Sunday, Pastor Aaron taught us this previous passage, and part of that passage that we read last week was this, verse 18, that, that some people were preaching about Jesus from good motives and some people not so good motives. Verse 18, what then, Paul writes, only that in every way, whether pretense or in truth, whether poor motives or good, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Remember, Paul is writing this letter while he's imprisoned. And he's imprisoned in Rome because of what he is teaching about what he believes to be true about Jesus. And yet, in that situation, he is rejoicing because the gospel is proclaimed. Whether, whether, whether the people proclaiming it were doing it for good reasons or out of competition or spite for Paul or whatever, he is thankful and rejoicing and saying, you know what? Christ, the Lord Jesus, is being proclaimed because Paul is all about the gospel going forward. And around here, we remind ourselves that the gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, so Paul loves that Christ is proclaimed. And he has more to rejoice about. Look at the end of verse 18. Yes, he says again, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, my imprisonment, will turn out for my deliverance. You know, you can imagine maybe what he's responding to here as he writes this letter to the Philippians. The Philippians had his, this church family back in Philippi had gotten word that he had been imprisoned, and they're probably rightly, understandably concerned and, and, and saying, Oh, Paul, you know, sorry to hear that you're in prison. And he's writing instead, comforting them, assuring them, because he's confident that even that circumstance, even finding himself imprisoned, will turn out for his deliverance. And you know what the interesting thing is? When he says it'll turn out for his deliverance, he's not talking about it'll turn out for his physical deliverance. He's not saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sure this is going to result in me getting out of jail. He has no idea what to expect. He doesn't know what Caesar is going to decide should be done with him. So even in the circumstance where he's imprisoned and uncertain of his future, Paul rejoices because in Christ, he will be delivered. He will be set free. He will be given, he will be vindicated at the end of his life or when Jesus returns, when he stands before God, before eventual judgment, he will be vindicated, set free, and he has confidence in that. And look what else we saw in verse 19. What was a factor in that deliverance? He says, I know that through what? Through your prayers. Church family, this should be a huge accomplishment. I mean, accomplishment. <laughs> this should be a huge encouragement for those of you that pray for those around you, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, God is at work in and through our prayers for one another. Paul was confident that through the Philippians' prayers, as they prayed for him, that fresh supplies of the power of God would be poured out to him to enable him to live for Jesus. And so we can have that kind of confidence, and we uh, should pray accordingly for one another. When we pray for ourselves, when we pray for someone else that's a follower of Jesus, we can pray that God would, would supply them 
would empower them by his Holy Spirit so that they can continue to follow Jesus, so they can endure the ups and downs of life following Jesus. So he writes, yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, in my life, whether by life or by death. I love that Paul writes that he has eager expectation. This isn't just, I hope the Giants will beat the Dodgers this afternoon. This is eager expectation based on the truth of God and who God is and that God is orchestrating all things according to his good and perfect purposes. Because Paul serves the mighty God and because his confidence is in him, Paul writes, I have eager expectation. He fully expects that he will be bold and courageous, proclaiming Christ because he knows that God is at work within him. And then we come to verse 21, this incredible declaration. It may be familiar to you, this incredible declaration, this phrase, this statement that ideally would be, would be, would be a, a, a proclamation of all Christians, of all followers of Jesus. And we'll put verse 21 on the screen, and I would love you to read it with me. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. One more time. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Perhaps you've heard that before. It sounds powerful. But have we taken the time to really understand what's going on here? To be what, what Paul is, is writing about. How can Paul say that? How, how can that be true of him? Well, because Paul is a follower of Jesus. He knows that Christ is in him. And he is in Christ. How can that phrase on the screen be true of you and me? If we pray that, if we declare that, how, how can we understand that to be true? What will make that true in our lives? The same thing, because if you are in Christ, if you have given your life, if you have surrendered yourself to following Jesus, knowing that you cannot rescue yourself, but you know that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, if you have given yourself to Christ, we can say that because as followers of Jesus, Jesus is in us and we are in him. So for, to me, to live is Christ, he says. For me, to live is Christ. How can Paul say that? And what does that look like in our life? Well, let's look to the words of Jesus on the screen here. Mark 8, 34, we studied the, the gospel of Mark in recent months. Jesus himself says it this way, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is, again, one of these phrases that we maybe know well. If we've been around church, we've heard these words of Jesus. And yet again, do we, do we take the time to understand what's going on here? Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Living for ourselves, what, what are the defaults? Living for ourselves, I think I do, maybe you 
living for ourselves, I think I default to doing what's easier, what's more convenient, what's preferable. But Jesus here says, if anyone will come after me, he will deny himself. He will put our, we, 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 we are to put ourselves aside. We are to put aside our own will and our own plans and our own uh, preconceived notions of how life should look and how comfortable I should be and instead submit ourselves to the authority of Jesus. When it says, take up his cross and follow me, it means we are putting aside our own will and submitting ourselves to the will of God. Jesus submitted himself to the will of God to the point of death on a cross. And so we too set aside our own desires and preferences and convenience and take up the cross of submission and obedience to to God's purposes and plans. And Paul had done this. Paul had done this in his life by the time he's writing these letters. And so he writes in another of his letters, a letter to the Galatians, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. The old me is dead. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So Paul here is willingly, joyously declaring that he has embraced the lifestyle of following Jesus, even suffering as Jesus did. This isn't saying, he isn't saying, it is no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me and everything's going to be great. This is Paul embracing, willingly embracing and sacrificing his life for what Jesus wants. And, um, and, and I'm going to let this lead me into just a little uh, mini family meeting right here in the middle of, of the, the message, if you'll allow me. And this is in particular for those of you that this is your church home. This is family. This is where we are committed to being. And so not so much speaking to you if you're visiting from out of town or, or passing through or whatever, but just a, a quick family meeting. You know, um, Scott and Tammy Russell being up here and sharing this morning has me thinking about children's ministry. And uh, uh, Debbie mentioned earlier that our church family is growing, and that's exciting. It's exciting to see what God is doing. And part of the growing that God is uh, doing and bringing people into Faith Church is uh, the exciting fact that we serve an increasingly number of children each week, which is super fun, as we want the next generation. Uh, as, as Scott said so well, we want our kids and grandkids to follow Jesus, don't we? And so that's such a special opportunity and privilege that we have and responsibility as a church family. As God brings this increasing number of kids into our care, I want to make a couple of things clear. Parents who are currently parenting children in the home, it is your God-given responsibility to be the primary spiritual influence in your child's life. Okay, if you, have a, if you have children in the home, and for that matter, those of you that have children out of the home, I think this continues to be true in different ways, right? I don't know, I'm not there yet. <laughs> but you need to know that it is God, your God-given responsibility to be the primary spiritual nurturer 
the one that points your children to Christ, the one that disciples them, helps them to become followers of Jesus, who, fo- who help others to follow Jesus, who help others to follow Jesus. But if we live for self, we do what's convenient, preferable, easier. And, and that may sometimes look like dropping off the kids at church and hoping for the best. I just, I want more for you and our children than that. Are you with me on that? So what might be more convenient and preferable would be to hand off the kids and hope that their spiritual life will be nurtured by the church, the church, our staff, our volunteers, our Sunday teachers. But, and don't get me wrong, we want to support you. That is our God-given role. This church family is given to come alongside of you, to support you as you nurture your children, as you have that primary uh, responsibility of pointing them to Christ and helping them to grow in following Jesus. We absolutely want to be part and come alongside and support you in those efforts. But as we come alongside you, we need your help. We need, we, we have hundreds of people that come and go from Faith Church And yet we don't have quite enough to care for our kids each Sunday morning. So we need you. And at the same time, uh, church uh, is family. And so take your pick of these uh, overused phrases. Uh, It takes a village. One hands, well, many hands make light work. Uh, What else we got? We need all hands on deck. You want me to go on with cheesy phrases? This is also church family, and that's why I'm so thankful for the Russells as an example of the many of you who are beyond the years of children in the home, and yet they have recognized that as part of a greater church family, God is calling us to raise up the next generation to know and follow Jesus. And so it's all hands on deck too. So I'm thankful for all of you that are in this room and that are in classrooms around the campus right now. I'm so thankful for you as you serve God by serving our kids and and our teenagers too. It's a similar situation, needing godly influences in our youth ministry as well. But I do want to just make clear, I I know that not every one of you, not, not every one of you, God is calling you to serve in children's ministry. I get that. That's not necessarily where every one of you needs to be. But where are you serving? Have you asked God to show you where pitching into this family what pitching into this family looks like. And I'm not talking to those of you that are already serving in so many ways, serving Jesus with your time and energy and spiritual gifts, and, and you're already plugged in and serving and behind the scenes and here and there. I don't want you to feel additional guilt. I'm speaking more to those of you who have yet to experience this incredible opportunity to grow in Christ. Those of you that haven't taken the step of following Jesus by serving others, by being a conduit of God's love through you to others, what is that going to look like? I'm speaking to those of you that still need to find that place in our church family where you can be used by God for his purposes because family works together. Mini meeting over. Thanks for listening. Let's read those words on the screen again here for me. Let's ne- the next slide, please. Let's read that aloud together. For me... To live is Christ. How can Paul say that? How might that look 
in our lives? Well, in a couple of chapters from now, when we get to Philippians 3.8, Paul is going to declare that nothing, listen to this, in a couple of chapters, Paul is going to say, nothing else compares to the surpassing worth, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you hear Paul there? He just said, there is, there is nothing else. Nothing else matters. This is what it's all about. Meanwhile, I'm standing over here wearing a shirt that says basketball is life. You know, when Paul says, for me to live is Christ, we must know, when he, when he declares, for me to live is Christ, we must know, what we must hear there, what we must be reminded of there, is that Jesus is to be at the center of everything. That every part of our life is to be lived in submission to God's purposes over our own. Paul, the Apostle Paul that wrote this letter, had a Christ-centered ministry. He had a Christ-powered ministry. He had a Christ-exalting ministry. And so rather than allow us to fall into default, what if I go into default mode, which might be self-centered, self-powered, self-exalting, Let's reflect on our lives instead. Let's reflect and evaluate where we're at, where our time and energy goes. If someone from the outside is watching your life and listening to your words and observing your actions, what are you portraying? My prayer is that our lives would be defined as Christ-centered, Christ-powered, and Christ-exalting. Wouldn't that be great? That's something to pray for, for one another. Verse 21 again, now it says a little more. For, for me, to live is Christ and what? To die is gain. Let's all say that again. Read the screen together again. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. A pastor author named Stephen Lawson writes this. It's on the screen. He wrote this. It is only when you know that death will usher you into the presence of God that you will live with fearless faith. So do you know that truth, friends? That to die is gain? Do you know that your earthly death, if you're a follower of Jesus, that your earthly death will result in graduating into the eternal presence of our great and loving God? I hope you do know that truth. As a follower of Jesus, Paul was in Christ, and so he knew that to die would be gain. And we get another glimpse of this. If you look at your Bibles, go down to verse 23. Paul writes, my desire is to depart, to go away from this earth, to die and be with Christ. For that is, what does he say? Far better. Do we believe that our earthly death would result in something far better? I hope so. I want so for you. Some of us are further along in our trusting Jesus and following Jesus than, than I am and, and, and know that it's far better. Is it, do we question whether it's far better or do we cling to what we're more familiar with and what we love about our earthly lives? Or do we believe that it is 
far better. How does Paul say that? How does Paul say that to be with Christ would be far better? Well, we read in 1 John 3, we know that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. For followers of Jesus, this is incredible right here. For followers of Jesus, when we see Christ face to face at the at face to face at the end of our earthly lives or upon Jesus' return, that will mean that our transformation into the likeness of Jesus will be complete, that the righteousness of Jesus will have had its full effect on our lives, that we will have been fully transformed. This is an ongoing process in the life of a Christian, and when we see Christ face to face, that will be complete, and that is far better. And another reason that to die is gain is that our earthly lives, and I'm reminded of that this morning in my own life, and I know that prior to walking in these doors, many of you were reminded bluntly in the face that life involves painful difficulties and trial and suffering and circumstances that we wouldn't have chosen. Am I right? But Paul can say that that to die is gain, that that would be far better because while our earthly lives are filled with difficulty, pain, and suffering, Revelation 21 reminds us that God's fulfilled kingdom, that God's future kingdom, there will be no mourning, no crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And that sounds far better, doesn't it? Let's read this on the screen again. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. One more time. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Meanwhile, Am I, are you standing over there wearing a t-shirt that says, basketball is life? Or whatever the equivalent of that is for you. If we honestly reflect and evaluate our hearts and our lives, how do we fill in this blank? If we take a moment and we ask the Spirit of God, to show us what our words and our actions portray about our life and what really matters to us. If we honestly reflect and think about our hearts, where our mind goes, where our time is spent, where our energy goes, what we, what we emphasize, what we focus on, how do we fill in that blank? Because I do, I do it too. Filled in with something besides Jesus. If we let the world around us fill in that blank, if we let the culture that we live in fill in that blank for us, perhaps it would say things like, to really live is to have sex outside of marriage. To really live is to keep up with the Joneses. It does. They tell those messages are out there, right? And we get sucked in. To really live is to get that next gadget. I've only got an iPhone 6. I feel like I'm just, you know, way behind. Good grief. 
to really live is to eat at the best places, to go on spectacular vacations, etc., whatever the messages that, that, that surround us are. But it's not just those outside bad influences, is it? It's not just the messages that are being pushed on us by, from outward, uh, you know, in outward ways. It's ourselves, right? Our, our words and our actions and our, uh, speak loudly about what we're all about. What we do speaks loudly about what we're all about. And so what do they declare that we live for? Do they declare that, we, that to live is dessert? That to live is, is, is my recreational hobby? That to live is to get a better job or to make more money or to travel the world? What are our lives focused on? And here's where, again, I would ask you to, to open yourself right now and, and, and invite God to reveal to you how you are filling in that blank inappropriately. What is being filled in there besides Jesus? And, 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 and allow the Spirit to speak to your heart and mind right now. What are our lives focused on? The American dream of, of retirement, where you do nothing? Are we focused on video games? Pornography? Our grandkids? Remember I said these could even be good things that are improperly elevated above other things, right? Uh, what are our lives focused on? Hunting, partying, our kids' sports schedule, just chilling, just focused on kicking back, making life as easy as possible, drinking. To really live is, is accomplishment. To really live is, I got to be somebody. For me to live is to have X number of likes on my Instagram posts. Or the thing the Holy Spirit put in your mind in the last couple of minutes that's true for you. How does that blank get filled in? And here's the deal. If, of course, if, if those things, if, if one or more of those things define who you are, if, if one or more of those things describe the scope and the depth and the meaning of my life or of your life, then, then our earthly death will mean the loss of everything. Because that stuff will all be gone. So if those are the things that define and describe what you're all about, then, then your earthly death will be tragic because that'll all be gone. Or we can put on a better shirt, a less cheesy shirt, and join Paul in saying, for to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Let's read the rest of the passage. Verse 22.
verse 22, Paul continues, if, if I am to live in the flesh, if I am to continue on my earthly life, that means fruitful labor for me. Things are going to get done, God doing stuff through him. Yet, Paul writes, which shall I choose? I, I can't tell. W- which way should I go here? Paul writes, what should I choose out of these two options? I cannot tell. I'm, in fact, verse 23 says, Paul says, I am hard pressed between the two. Listen to Paul be torn between these two things. It's tough for him right here to say which is better. Should he stay and serve people to the glory of Jesus? Or should he depart, die, and be with Jesus? And he's torn. So we continue reading verse 23. He says, I am hard pressed between the two, but here he gives us a hint about his desire. My desire is to depart and be with Christ because that is far better. But verse 24, he writes, to remain in the flesh, to stay here is more necessary on your account because of you. He knows that if he stays, he can continue to live as Christ. To live not for his own purposes and desires, but for the will of God in and through him. Paul knows that as he continues to live his earthly life, that God will pour his love, God's love, through Paul to others. Paul knows that, giving, that, that if he stays and gives all he has to serving people, he will be serving Jesus in the process. And so verse 25, where he writes, convinced of this, I know that I will remain. I'm going to continue with you. My earthly journey continues. For what? For your progress and joy in the faith. He believes while he would love to go and be with Jesus, he is convinced that what God has for him in the now is to stay and be a blessing to others, to serve others, to give of himself, to allow God to minister to him and through him. Convinced of this, verse 25, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul admitted that he prefers... To be with Christ. What do we prefer? What, what basketball is on your shirt? How do we spend our time in, in ways that are too focused on self? But because Paul, but because Paul writes, and it's true of him, to live is Christ, because of that, he sets his preferences aside to advance the gospel so that the good news that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, so that message would go forward, would be declared, that God's love would be shown to others. What about me? For me, to live is What's it going to be? And for you, for you 
to live is what? Will it be? Will it be Jesus? Father in heaven, we confess to you, we come before you, we humble ourselves before you now. Father in heaven, we need you because apart from you, we can do nothing, because we fall short, because we live for ourselves. So Father in heaven, we confess to you now that that, that that's our tendency, is to put ourselves first. So Lord, we, we come to you and we confess that and yet we lift our eyes in praise and worship to you. We thank you this morning for sending your son. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that Jesus lived and died and rose again that we might have new life with you. So Lord, we thank you for forgiveness for making us right with you through Christ, and for transforming us, for making us new, for giving me a new heart, mind, attitude. God, thanks that you are making me and, and, and every follower of Jesus in this room, that you are making us new, that you're transforming us, that you are helping us be more and more like your son. God, I thank you this morning for this, the many in our church family who, who routinely put comfort and preference aside and say, For me, to live is Christ. For me, to live is to live for Jesus. For me, to live is to share God's love. For me, to live is to serve and give of myself for your glory. God, I'm thankful for those that serve you in that way. And Lord, would you help me? Would you help all of us be increasingly aware of the way that we spend our time and our energy? Would you help us to see how our words and our actions demonstrate what is important to us? God, would you help us to see what we are living for? And I pray that as we follow Jesus, as we surrender every area of life to Jesus, I pray that our lives will declare Paul's words for me To live is Christ, and to die is gain. We pray these things in the powerful name of your Son. Amen. Amen.